You're listening to the Growth Experts Podcast. So if you're looking to 10X your business by learning proven growth strategies, you're in the right place. During my interviews with top CEOs, entrepreneurs, and marketers, I dig deep to uncover the real strategies, hacks, and tools to help you achieve your goals. And I'm your host, Dennis Brown. Hey, everybody. If you're interested in learning how to leverage LinkedIn for your business, this episode is sponsored by my book, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful LinkedIn Users. To get your free copy, just send a text to 44222 with the word seven habits. That's the number seven habits to 44222. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is Michael Gale. And Michael is passionate about digital technologies and their impact on the future. As a matter of fact, he's the host of the Forbes Insight Future in Focus podcast. That's a mouthful. (laughs) Engages in conversations with global visionaries and leaders who are thinking about our world 10 years from now, right? Helping us design it and guiding us towards it in a way that allows us to thrive. Welcome to the show, Michael. It's great to be here. This is a really good subject. Growth, entrepreneurship are uh, key parts of the future. So it's good to be able to talk with you today. Yeah, I love this. So you wrote a really popular book, The Digital Helix. I mean, when did you publish that? When did you release that? It came out October 2017. It's still actually the number one selling book on digital transformation, which is about a two, three trillion dollar business. It's bigger than the Italian economy. Love it. I'm not sure that says much, but... <laughs> Yeah, that's really cool. I, I'm going to definitely check out your podcast because I love the concept of, of really talking about these topics that are, that are trending towards the future. Because again, it's like anything else, right? There's always those curves in the road and those little things that happen along the journey, whether it be a recession, whether it be a strong economy, whether it be a bankruptcy, whether it be just the ripple effects in the, in the, in the way that our business is shaped and the future is shaped in general for all of us. So that's a really interesting topic to me. But today, we're going to talk about, just so everybody knows, we're going to talk about why today is the best time ever to be an entrepreneur or to be trying to grow your business, right? To focus on growth. And Michael's going to help us unpack that. We're going to have a nice little dialogue. But before we do that, give us the one-minute rendition of kind of how you got here, and then we're going to peel it back, and we're going to, we're going to make some magic happen. Yeah, moved to the States in 93, uh, spent most of my working life here, took one company public, uh, sold two companies four times or so. Worked at Monitor Group with Michael Porter, actually as a group partner there, one of the 10 leaders in what was one of the smartest IP firms around. And then basically decided that if the world was going to digitally transform, people needed a framework. And just doing what you have done before and expecting different results is not a logical way to progress to a whole new world that's radically different. So we spent three, four years researching a book that would give people a sort of the seven digital components for success. And that's really since 2017, what we've been focusing on is trying to educate people about these seven components and why actually growth and entrepreneurship and digital are all naturally connected variables in the 21st century. Cool. So what's your primary business? I mean, the book was, is a great centerpiece, but what's the business do? What does your business do today? Well, when we do work, because we're careful about when and how we do it, it's normally a combination of educating people about how to do digital right. I'll give you an analogy. Only about 28% of corporations have got this new digital DNA, and they get about 72% of all the potential returns you could ever measure out of an industry sector. So whether it's healthcare or retail or banking or manufacturing, a relatively small number, about one in four, suck up literally three times as much of the return as everybody else in that segment. 
So our time is often spent educating those and other organizations how to do digital right, how to think about their DNA as they head into this new world. You know, does size matter? How much more collaborative do you need to be? Do you need to see information differently? How do you think about customers in this new world? So our job is to educate executives and leaders how to think, design, and act differently for digital success. We've spent a lot of time on the podcast. We do it weekly. It's pretty tough to get hold of people that do you know, stuff on 3D food printing. We actually uh, talked to probably the leading chef scientist in the world last week in Spain. Uh, she's basically at the number two restaurant in the world, measured by CNN. She talked about how fine dining is going to completely transform itself in the next 10 years, not just with 3D food printing or you know, vegan type food, but even the way they think about food experiences. So a lot of our time is really just spent looking, feeling, seeing, talking about those changes as we go through them. And then the other half is trying to educate companies not to make big mistakes. It's really easy. Look at people like GE who have failed at every level to digitally transform. And you can see how a vast array of the Fortune 500 may not even be here in five years' time, let alone 10. So our job is to try and help them help themselves to be better versions of themselves in a digital world. So is it more consulting driven? So you work on yeah, larger... Consulting, it's, it's enablement. How do you think, design and act differently? Because you can't use... You know, a lot of companies try and put a steam engine and a sailing ship. Well, you've got to build a steamship, right? That requires a complete re-architecting of the process. Sure, a steam engine and a sailing ship will get you somewhere, but it won't get you very far. So if I look at even major tech companies in the services area, they're really struggling because they themselves haven't digitally transformed very well. So how can they actually help clients do that job if they're not very good at it themselves? Yeah, that's a great point. So tell me a little bit about the size and scale. Are you more of like a boutique firm? Do you have international offices? I mean... No, very boutique business. We'll do... Most of our work is global by nature. We don't talk about the clients, but the vast majority is global. They're all generally Fortune 50 companies that have recognized this sort of paradox between wanting to be digital and then thinking, designing, and acting digitally. But, you know, one of the things we do spend a lot of time looking at startups, a lot of time looking at entrepreneurial businesses, because they have a great deal to teach large companies in this period of transformation. We've always historically looked at the big guys, but they aren't necessarily the best examples to work with because they're so legacy-based, they're so stuck in an old world. They, they can't move intelligently or nimbly or appropriately because they still like to use old world precepts to drive new world existence, which isn't very smart. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to implement change inside of a large organization is so difficult. Yeah. I mean, I I don't envy your position. Obviously, they'd probably pay you pretty good fees to come in there and, and try to enlighten them. But at the end of the day, getting them to implement has got to be like pulling teeth because you have every different division and you know leader and, and sector wanting to pull in a different direction or have their own pride of authorship on what they've been doing. And yeah, it's, it's, I don't envy you. I don't envy you. So let's, let's dive into a little bit more about this whole digital transformation, right? Talk to me. What, is it, what does digital transformation mean to you, first of all? Can you share that with us before we dive yeah, in? Yeah, I think it, yeah, in this most common non-technical language, it's taking a company that would sell things or services and saying, you're going to become a platform. You're going to become a platform that could sell other stuff, new stuff, have different types of relationships, because the nature of the interactions you have are based on a digital set of technologies. It's based on a set of digital interactions. So, you know, yes, we'd like to make you Amazon, but understand certain businesses aren't that way. But think about if you could build this digital set of platforms, how much more or how differently your company could service accounts. So if you're Rubbermaid, right, you've historically sold office cleaning equipment through a range of distributors like Granger and Amazon and elsewhere, they're buckets with water in, right? Well, at what point do you make those buckets with water have Internet of Things sensors in them 
that say this bucket's broken or it needs new water or it's dirty? At what point do you have the cleaner themselves go and get the product from you online versus relying on their manager to give them a set of products to do it? What point do you make trash cans self-cleaning? It's really, it changes the nature of how you think about your business. And that's really where this is fascinating because the opportunities are enormous, but the capacity of organizations to handle these new ideas is really limited by their own thinking. It's sort of like, you know, if you've always been used to a quarterback that sits back in a pocket and you're offered a quarterback that can break out on the rush, are you ready for that change in mindset to make it happen? Because the market's already going there. Are you prepared to do it? Most companies now, I think, are almost like selling horses and carts, and digital really is like the carts. That revolutionary in the way that businesses function. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. So you, all right, I'm hooked, right? So I want to, I want you to help me unpack this this topic because before the interview, we were talking about this, and you made a really bold statement, and that was today is the greatest time in the history of business to be an entrepreneur if you're looking to grow your business. So I know you've got a little bit of a framework you want to share around this. And obviously, we're limited for time, but I think the audience is going to pull some great nuggets from this. So help us unpack that because I'm eager to, I'm eager to really kind of dive into that. Yeah, I think there's a very simple elevated discussion. If you, as, if you sit there as a consumer and think about all the possibilities ahead of you, not just a B2C consumer, but a business to business, we call them sort of personal business consumers, you recognize that every possible idea is now open to you. You don't need to buy computers. You can run things on the cloud. You don't need to have accounting services internally. You can get them externally. If you have a great relationship with a customer, it's amazing how much more they're open to talking to you about stuff than ever before, other things they want. All of a sudden, that we have a genuinely flat landscape where just because you're a big company, doesn't mean people trust you to make the right decision for you. In fact, being in a big company makes consumers really nervous because they're like locked into the past, locked into the legacy way of doing it. So consumers are increasingly looking for new ways to satisfy themselves in every possible situation, whether or not it's having a McDonald's burger delivered to the house, whether or not it's talking online with Zoom to a doctor about a prescriptive process, whether or not Alexa can pick up a cough and call a doctor and say, hey, they've got a cough, they've had it for five days. All these ideas are commonplace conversations, not just on CNN or BBC, but at a sort of dinner tables in houses. That means when new ideas are a prominent part of the conversation, consumers and businesses are looking for new ways to solve those problems. They're looking for someone to say, hey, I think the world's going to go to the cloud, or I think I don't need to have this type of staff to do this. How can you offer me this service? Or do I really need cleaning buckets? Or should I really have a cleaning service turn up and maybe have some robots do it for us? These are real conversations happening right now. And small entrepreneurial businesses that can pick up those light shafts, those little shining lights in the sky, are really well suited to solve them. They can outsource large parts of their supply chain, outsource large parts of their services. What they don't want to outsource is the relationship with the customer. If you could spend 10, 20 times more time with a customer every day and nine times less time on admin and infrastructure, imagine how powerful you can be. Large corporations can't do that. They're locked into complex historical processes that don't let them listen as much, hear for opportunity, or frankly, actually execute new business models because old business models get in the way. Yeah. So you mentioned something really interesting there. And that was, you know, and what I took from this is, is that small businesses, one of the ways they can even the playing field is to really stay super focused in on those activities that are really driving customer engagement and purchase and getting them more into your ecosystem. But the things that aren't necessarily like whether it be accounting or supply chain or some administrative stuff, 
to really focus on trying to get as much of that outside of your organization with people that are, that are probably better suited at doing it anyway, right? And then just really doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on that, those conversations and engagement with that customer. That's, that's definitely, you know, I think that's a no-brainer, but I think for large companies, the thought of doing that is just beyond scary and almost impossible. But small it's also branding because they push stuff, right? They want you to buy product A and B. Small businesses say, hey, what are you looking for? Let's configure something that's half A and half B. Big companies can't do that. Right. That's why, you know, we see in the tech category, everything from Betty Blocks that does Lego-like programming to really complicated you know, biotech. It's coming from small businesses because they can have the conversation with a surgeon, with a doctor, with a scientist, and they can sort of co-collaborate to create new businesses. Large companies just want to do one thing a million times. Small businesses can do a million things one time each if they put the right infrastructure in for place. And that's, I think, well, that's why it's such a great pay for entrepreneurship because relationships really matter if you can listen and interchange ideas and collaborate when you build product or service. So that was the first, the first one was outsourcing. The second one was leveraging the market intelligence and the information you're getting from spending more time with those customers to develop new revenue streams, whether it be new products, hybrids, collaborations, partnerships, whatever in an effort to try to maximize the, the results with that customer and to please them and to keep them longer, right? Is to try to keep them in your ecosystem longer because eventually, you know, someone's always trying to pick your pocket, right? All right, so that's two really great tips right there. Those two things alone, I think, can really help to even the playing field. Because again, I just posted something on LinkedIn about Apple. They just posted a, a bounty on, you know, for someone to hack their new iPhone and they both, they're going to pay somebody a million dollars if they hack their iPhone. And I looked at it and I was like, well, they've got $240 billion in cash in their, in their coffers. A million dollars is like a bubble in a piss pot, right? It's really, it's really not going to have a, a significant impact. But this is a way for small businesses to try to start evening the playing field. Even though they have a much bigger cash supply, they've also got all that infrastructure and legacy that they've got to wade through where the small business doesn't. So yeah, any so other, go ahead, any other tips or strategies? Because I think those I think are some great ones that people really need to understand. Okay. Get a whiteboard and put on it, stop, start, continue, do new. And get an entrepreneurial situation, you want to ask a customer what do they want to stop doing? What do they want to start doing for the first time? What do they want to do differently? In other words, they've done it, but they want to change it. And then that's what they want to continue. And that should be a sales conversation. And I think that it's very difficult conversation for a large company to have. Stop, start, do different, continue. Because it says, I thrive on flexibility. I thrive on agility. Tell me what you need. Let's see if we can get it done. And that literally, that part of that co-collaboration process with customers is really important in an entrepreneurial business. We've built enough of them to know that you can build very successful companies quickly if they're very, very customer orientated. And the digital world makes everything very, very customer orientated. And that's not good for large companies that want to do one thing a million times. It's great for small businesses that can do a hundred things, maybe a thousand times each. Yeah, I love it. Perfect. Anything else you want to add specific to that topic or whether it be just something in general about this digital transformation, probably focused more a little bit around the small business, small to medium size enterprise? Yeah, I think there's two things to think about. Size is no longer an advantage. In fact, being small or medium is more beneficial than being large. And you need to recognize like David and Goliath, that Davidness is a huge advantage in a world where people measure experiences that they get, not the size of the company they get it from. That means you should never be frightened about offering or delivering a service historically generated by very large companies if you clearly understand what customers do and don't want. There is no doubt 
that the growth of all these digital platforms, all these digital organizations is not based on the fact they're huge. It's based on the fact that they can be incredibly sensitive to what customers want. So don't think size is a liability. Smaller medium is an asset. Second thing I'd say to you is you cannot sell being a digitally capable company if you don't behave in a digital way. Then you're just, you're just packaging or wrapping yourself digitally. And small companies, even medium ones, aren't necessarily digital by nature unless they're built that way. So the, the DNA components we talk about in the book, a small and medium company should thrive on. Their executives need to be leaders in that process. Customers have portfolio of experiences. How the hell do you sell to one and the other? Sales and marketing need to be one motion control process, not two. You've got to recognize that there's new forms of data, not just forms of data, but streams that it comes in. Constant responsibility to each other in the process, all right? Because if you're not, it's like left hand, right hand. It's got to be one hand through the process. And strategy really is just one step ahead. It's not over the horizon. It's how you constantly sail. So you're going over the horizon, just looking ahead enough. I don't believe anybody that can predict the future. It's just not possible. You can predict what it takes to be successful in the future. And those DNA components I've mentioned, any company size are indications of your capacity to develop yourself as a digital platform. Love it. Perfect. Well, listen, let me ask you a couple of questions and then we're going to wrap it up for today. And I definitely, listen, I'm sold on the book. I'm definitely going to get a copy. So at the end, I want to make sure you let everybody know how they can get a copy of the book. Okay. Sure. But before we do that, tell me, and this is just being, being a guy who's focused in on technology, I think this will be an interesting question for you. What's one of your favorite growth tools or softwares, apps, SaaS products, something that you use to grow your business? I think there's two I love. I love LinkedIn because if you get the right group of people around you, you get remarkable conversations. So you get an understanding of the business to business zeitgeist in real time, which is really difficult to do. Right. LinkedIn, building a great community around you, similar people, customers, is incredibly vital, new form of a theme and streaming conversational content area. I think secondly, you've really got to look at high collaboration-based apps, apps that allow you and customers and staff to work in real time. We used to start with messaging. It's not quite there yet. But there's plenty of platforms now that allow you to jointly build documents, jointly have conversation, work with a sort of collaboration window constantly open. And you have to have a collaboration window constantly open because it means you're open to new ideas. You're open to new inputs. Right. There's nothing right the first time. That constant iteration is part of what makes digital really exciting. So LinkedIn and any collaboration app that's constantly open in your desktop is clearly the two best ways to go for any executive or any leader. Yeah. I know a lot of people love Slack. I don't know if that's kind of like a... a I a use Slack. I just, I'm careful to not promote certain stuff. <laughs> no, Slack is a great example, right? Because yeah. it allows you to iterate constantly. I mean, I could do 15 versions of a document in a day. If you're using email and Word, it's like three weeks, right? You can't afford three weeks to do that anymore. Right. Perfect. Awesome. And besides your book, The Digital Helix, what would be one book that you would recommend to the audience? Maybe something that they could kind of also consume? Oh, there's, two, there's actually two that I've read of about 70 this year. One is called uh, Loon Shots by Sathu Bacall. And it really talks about what, the, what crazy ideas you need to have to drive innovation. It's a fantastic book. He's a biotech entrepreneur, an MIT grad. But Loon Shots by Safi Bacall is a phenomenal book. The other book actually is a book by Rich Carlgaard, who's a publisher at Forbes, and that's called Late Bloomers. And the reason why I like these two is, well, Loon Shots is, what's the process for amazing innovation? What does it really look like? It doesn't matter how big or small you are. It's a completely applicable book for anybody. But I think Rich's view about our inability as a society to handle people that develop late is really important. Most entrepreneurs are not 15 or 18 or 20. 
but have gained enough experience in industry to say, right, I'm going to do it on my own. They're often in their 30s or 40s. Right. And Richard's books, is, we underestimate the value of late bloomers in society. And I think for those on the edge who maybe wanted to go entrepreneurial, those two books, Loon Shots and Late Bloomers, could be great stimulations to say, hey, I should try this. I've got the skills. I've got the knowledge. I have the attributes. And they're fantastic sort of motivational, well-structured frameworks for thinking about the world. Love it. Well, listen, do me a huge favor, Michael. Let everybody know how they can connect with you, maybe get a copy of your book, and then we'll wrap it up for today. All right. Look, grab me at LinkedIn, obviously. You can also email me at michael at inc.digital. Pretty simple URL. You'll get the book on Amazon uh, very clearly or Barnes & Noble or other leading bookstores. And if people actually want a digital copy, don't want to spend the money, I'm more than happy if they email me directly to send them a digital copy for free. Love it. I'll make sure I put all those links in the show notes. Really appreciate you being here. Congrats on all the success with the book. And I hope we get a chance to talk again soon. Good. Take care. Thanks very much. Bye. Thanks, Michael. Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.